Welcome everyone to our BGJ podcast for the month of October. I am Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome to you all from your team here at the Bone and Joint Journal. As always, we'd like to thank you all for your continued comments and, and support, as well as a big gratitude to our many authors and colleagues who take part in the series that highlights just some of the great work published by our authors each month at, here at the Journal. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Brian Chalmers, who is an orthopaedic surgeon in the Department of Orthopaedic Surgery at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, to discuss their paper entitled Risk Factors for Blood Transfusion and Postoperative anemia, anemia Following Total Knee Arthroplasty, which has been published in the October edition of the BJJ. Welcome, Brian. It's great to have you with us. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, you. Thank. It's great to be here, and thanks for having me. Great. So, Brian, the, the primary aim of this paper was to investigate risk factors for blood transfusion and postoperative anemia following total knee arthroplasty in a large retrospective patient cohort, with the secondary aim being to attempt to establish a single preoperative hemoglobin cutoff that would minimize the likelihood of blood transfusion while simultaneously maximizing the number of patients at low transfusion risk. So, Brian, maybe as a background to the study for our listeners, can you give us a brief overview of the state of the current literature on this topic as you know it, and sort of what made you look at this question in particular? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think as as far as my background and, and just things that I've been interested in research, you know, I, I was a resident at the Mayo Clinic and then a, a, a fellow at the Hospital for Special Surgery and then stayed on staff. And kind of throughout my career, I did a lot of research on, you know, outcomes, implants, you know, things with fractures and a lot of revisions and a lot of metal and and things that were very cool to me at the time. And I think as you go on to practice, you know, you realize that, yes, those are important and and very interesting things to look at, but really practice management, you know, uh, patient outcomes around the time of surgery are also very important and things that, you know, I think about and worry about even more than than the case sometimes. And so this is something that, you know, has um, in perioperative outcomes in general, pain, transfusion, patient experiences in general around the time of arthroplasty uh, just matters a lot to me. And so I've focused a lot of my research in my early career and, and hopefully to to come uh, on those types of topics. And so this was something that that um, uh, we've looked at extensively, and especially with the advent of, of tranexamic acid, looking at uh, transfusion rates and blood loss around the time of surgery, rapid re- rehabilitation protocols, getting patients out of the hospital faster, really more moving towards a model of a well patient program than more of a sick patient program model. And so, you know, historic transfusion rates, as we talk about in the paper, have been, you know, extremely high. And I think we've done a great job with expedient surgery, tranexamic acid, you know, tra- changing our transfusion thresholds uh, to decrease those and, and get patients out of the hospital faster and in a more safer manner. So uh, that's kind of what what inspired me to do this paper, as well as a lot of the other perioperative outcome type of papers that we're, that we're looking at. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's a really nice overview, Brian. I think like I, I t- couldn't agree more in the terms of when, as you get more into your, your practice, you realize that these little nuances that, you know, we take for granted. And actually, there's a lot, lot a lot of work to be done with, shall we say, the more simpler things, but actually really important things to the patient, like, like you say. And I suppose related to that, you know, you know, from from your time at HSS and, and maybe maybe for your knowledge of the states as well, how is the practice and maybe indications from tr- transfusion around joint arthroplasty changed or is it adapted at all? Or is there any sort of trend you can see? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, I definitely think that we've, you know, revolutionized our blood management protocol as far as, um, you know, preoperative optimization of hemoglobin levels, intraoperatively 
doing things, you know, like I said, expediently. We use a lot of neuraxial anesthesia, which helps decrease, you know, blood pressure during the surgery, decrease transfusion rates, blood loss. Obviously, the tranexamic acid has been a huge game changer in the world of blood management. And then I think a big thing is, you know, postoperatively uh, monitoring patients and restrictive hemoglobin transfusion thresholds have been, you know, extremely important and and decreasing our transfusion rates, which we know can lead to to you know negative consequences, not only transfusion reactions but uh, periprosthetic joint infection. So I think that there's been a, a big shift in the in the paradigm of blood management and management of the patients in, in the last 10, 10 to twenty years. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think we, we, we've certainly seen the same here. And like you say, uh, something we've definitely seen more recently is blood is such a precious resource, and actually we we don't it's not an endless supply, and actually these the importance of looking at these things and actually only giving patients who really need a transfusion, a transfusion is a really imp- important thing, whether it be in elective surgery or trauma. So moving on to the to the, the study itself, just the design of it, you know, it's a retrospective cohort study. Utilize your institutional database of totally arthroplasty patients from your large academic tertiary care institution. That was from 2016 to 2020. And that had a total of 14,901 patients that underwent a primary unilateral TKA as an inpatient. So Brian, Maybe just very briefly, just as an overview, just to, for who it covers, what were the inclusion and exclusion criteria for the study? Who did you actually look at? Yeah, it's a great question. So HSS is unique in a way, in a couple of ways. One is that, you know, we do the highest volume of, of arthroplasty in the world. And so there's a lot of patients, a lot of data. And secondly, is that we are very traditional in how we do things. Everybody gets preoperative labs, you know, traditionally. Uh, we've had patients stay overnight and get postoperative labs on a lot of patients. We're moving away from that in the last five years to doing some more ambulatory surgery. Like I said, treating patients more in a well model, but but traditionally we've gotten had patients stay overnight and gotten postoperative labs on pretty much everybody. And so there's a lot of a lot of data in there, and and that's why why you're seeing such large numbers here. Uh, specifically for this study, our inclusion criteria was unilateral primary. Uh, knee replacements at patients that did stay overnight um, and got postoperative day one labs. So anyone that left the same day, uh, anyone that, um, and it was only for a diagnosis of osteoarthritis. So anyone with post-traumatic arthritis or AVN or anything like that, or underwent a simultaneous bilateral total knee replacement were excluded. So we were able to capture a large, large number of patients because of those things that I mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Very large. And, and like you say, quite clear indication for it. And and then you sort of touched upon it then, but in terms of your sort of institution's perioperative protocol during the same period, was that sort of fairly standardized? Did it change at all over that period of time? Fairly standardized. There are some differences between surgeon, between, you know, tranexamic acid protocols and drain use that that changed. And we looked at in, in this study, which I think is one of the highlights of, of this study uh, and potential things to change. But overall, as far as the, you know, perioperative protocol, everyone gets preoperative labs. Uh, most people uh, stay in the hospital overnight, get a, get a, uh, in this study at least, get postoperative day one labs. Um, uh, and then, so that's what we really looked at as far as um, looking at the hemoglobin levels, blood loss, um, and, and those types of factors. Absolutely. And in terms of the sort of indication for blood transfusion, you've stated it in the paper, but that was fairly standardized across across that period of time as well. 
Yes, yeah, exactly. We changed to a more restrictive transfusion regimen, I think, that most institutions around the country have changed to about eight to ten years ago. So that that was standardized. And the techniques obviously are are, you know, a little bit you know variable between surgeons, but the vat, you know, and throughout this study period and, and we're still doing you know, most people use a tourniquet for for mo- for the case. Most people, you know, the vast majority, more than ninety nine percent, are done with neuraxial anesthesia and and, and perioperative blocks uh, by our anesthesia colleagues. So, overall, pretty standardized. Besides the the few variables that we looked at in this study. So, absolutely, absolutely, that, that's great. And in terms of that, the the preoperative risk factors and outcomes. What were the main things you wanted to look at? Yeah, so we wanted to look at things that you can modify, right? Like uh, tranexamic acid use, drain use were, were come, some of the big things, uh, operative time, and then some things that you, you can't modify and, and, and how we can, you know, potentially optimize patients better, age, sex, mm-hmm. body mass index, and, and preoperative hemoglobin, as well as ASA class. So those things were, were the main things that we wanted to study in this, in this uh, paper. Perfect. And in terms of before we get on to the results, Brian, in terms of the analysis performed, just very briefly, nothing obviously not too much detail required. What what sort of things were you looking at, and and any sort of so when you particularly when you're looking at the cutoffs, you 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 set some criteria for that. Yeah, so we wanted to look at you know who had preoperative postoperative anemia after surgery, which we had defined as a cutoff of hemoglobin less than ten, and then we looked at transfusion rates and. For this kind of predictive modeling, we we looked at a transfusion rate of less than one percent. You know that was kind of something that we decided that would be you know if you have more than one percent that was you know probably clinically relevant. So so Brian, just briefly before we move on to the results, what were the analyses that you sort of carried out, and in particular the, the cutoffs you were looking at when you were looking at transfusion rates? So we had to to put some clinical make make some clinical decisions and put some cutoffs, and we you know defined preoperative or postoperative hemoglobin as a hemoglobin less than ten, and a transfusion rate of of one percent being you know clinically relevant that you would, you know, maybe want to monitor monitor patients more closely, or if they had a risk of a, a transfusion over 1%, uh, maybe want to keep them in the hospital or do additional monitoring or do additional preoperative optimization uh, prior to the prior to the arthroplasty. Uh, so we made those as, as our cutoffs for this study. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Move on to the results of the paper. So, and what you found. So, like we say, there was almost 15,000 patients included. The mean age of the patients was 68 years and just about, just over 37% were male. About a third almost had a surgical drain during the procedure. And that was one of the things, like you said, that was uh, a factor you looked at. And the mean operating time for patients was just uh, about around one and a half hours. So, so I suppose the main findings, it was sort of the initial findings you found, what, what were they in terms of the rate of blood transfusions and rate of post-operative anemia, Brian? Yeah, so this actually kind of surprised me. Our, our rate of transfusion was 3.7%, which is much higher than I expected. I honestly can't remember the last time that I transfused a primary knee replacement. And so that uh, surprised me a bit, and that's one of the reasons we, you know, looked at looked at a lot of the analyses further. About fifteen percent of patients had a hemoglobin less than ten on the postoperative day one labs, and about twenty five percent of patients who had a transfusion had more than one one transfusion. So, like I said, that that rate surprised me, and the, a reason that we looked at this and looked at kind of the analyses further because I think we were all a bit surprised by that that transfusion rate. 
Absolutely. I think that's a great thing to see, see, isn't it? When you look at these things, it's often, it's not always what you expect. And I think that's, that's one of the great things about them going to look at it further. And, and in terms of that, you know, what did you find in terms of the associations with regards priority hemoglobin levels uh, and, and gender or sex with these outcomes? Yeah. So what we found some, some expected findings, right? You know, increased operative time, females just having a lower, you know, preoperative hemoglobin level, but even despite you know, controlling for a lower preoperative hemoglobin level, females in general had a, a higher transfusion rate, you know, lower preoperative hemoglobin levels, as we would expect, those patients <laughs> tended to, to have higher transfusion rates, lower doses of tranexamic acid. Like I said, in this study period, we hadn't really standardized our tranexamic acid dosing, whether it was IV, topical, multiple doses, and then drain use. I think those are those were the big things, drain use leading, leading to increased rates of, of tra- uh, transfusion and, and postoperative anemia uh, were the big things that we found to be uh, associated with, with those results. Absolutely. And, and they were sort of also sort of seen on the, the, the multivariate analyses that you then did after that. And, and sort of finally with the results, with, you know, with one of the, I thought there was really interesting things with regards to establishing the preoperative hemoglobin cutoff. What did you find? And also, which I thought was really interesting, what were the potential cost savings if you sort of extrapolated that out? Yeah, so we, you know, one of the goals was uh, of this study was do we need to get lab, postoperative labs on everybody, right? I mean, that model, you know, moving to more ambulatory surgery, you know, like I said, this model of having a well patient model, do we really need to get labs on everybody? And so we looked at, you know, what would, what would it look like if we said we're accepting a less than 1% transfusion rate? And that was about 13 hemoglobin before surgery. So those patients, you know, unless they're having some, you know, significant symptoms after surgery, probably don't need any postoperative labs. And so that's that's kind of what we found. It was a little bit higher than I would, but you know, I, I wouldn't think that anyone with a hemoglobin above thirteen would would need a transfusion. But obviously, in, in our study, there are, there were yeah. a, a few that did. So we yeah. found that that was the kind of significant cutoff. Yeah, absolutely. And that, like like you said, if you extrapolate that out, there's quite some quite big cost savings, which are which are interesting. Maybe we can come on to uh, further. But in terms of, I suppose those are the key findings of the study. In terms of the implications of it, you know, you know, I think the strengths and, and the importance and the clinical evidence are really clear. You know, it's a large, very large single center study, very well controlled um, environment in terms of a lot of constants throughout the, the study period. It's report, uh, reporting on blood transfusion and postoperative anemia following TKA. As you said, you know, the study really clearly highlights, you know, the importance that, you know, increased use of increased tranexamic acid dosing, decreasing the operating time, decreased drain usage may reduce those transfusion rates uh, and that single preoperative cut off of 13 like you say maybe a bit higher than anticipating but obviously aiming for that less than one percent uh, and that implications that has for sort of post-op labs as you say so brian i suppose how do you how do you interpret these findings and, and i suppose it, you've already alluded to it, but was it what you expected and and will it change things moving forward do you think for you guys yeah i think it it really highlighted the fact that we you know need to be a little bit more standardized and critical of our own you know blood management strategies at, at our hospital i think you know since this study and since in the last couple of years we've really 
standardize our, our tranexamic acid dosing and optimizing patients. And, you know, everyone gets a, a, a gram of intravenous tranexamic acid before surgery. And we have uh, almost everyone gets a second dose of intravenous afterwards, which I think, you know, significantly reduces transfusion rates. We've standardized that. There's very few patients and few criteria that, that patients don't get a second dose. Our drain utilization at the hospital has significantly, you know, diminished over time. And obviously, you know, preoperatively looking at patients that we can optimize their hemoglobin levels. And we've definitely gone to doing more ambulatory surgery and and not getting preoperative labs, even if they do stay overnight, or excuse me, postoperative labs, even if they do yeah. stay overnight, with, like you said, with cost savings, with just, de- de- you know, optimizing patients' experience in the hospital, not having to get a blood draw, not having to get labs, and, and really kind of standardizing our approach and and kind of modernizing everything as as we've discussed absolutely and, and i think like as you say in the study in terms of that cutoff if you did use a cutoff of hemoglobin it's about two-thirds of the patients undergoing a tka would fit that sort of criteria so that's that's a huge number of patients and in terms of you know how it fits with the current literature i think you discussed that very well but would you, is there any sort of limitations to the study that you, you know or hindsight with it that you sort of would think would be important for the listeners to know? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a single institution. There are variabilities that we, we can't account for that, that, that can, you know, lead to, to a variability in the study of especially, you know, surgeons kind of do things differently postoperatively. You know, we don't, didn't, you know, we captured ASA class, but there are certain groups of patients that are on, you know, postoperative or preoperative anticoagulation that have kidney disease and other factors that that can lead to higher rates of bleeding, higher rates of transfusion, and and higher blood loss. Obviously, every patient uh, after surgery has different cutoffs. You know, like I said, we use a restrictive transfusion protocol, but, you know, patients with cardiac disease or history have have higher transfusion uh, thresholds. So obviously not not generalizable to, to every single patient, but I think within the literature make, you know, makes sense on, and, you know, what we found, you know, females and drain use, preoperative hemoglobin level, increased operative times are going to increase your rate of of bleeding, postoperative anemia, and requiring postoperative transfusions, and then you know, like I said, really tranexamic acid has has been a big game changer in, in our in arthroplasty and, and even in in other fields, general surgery, trauma surgery, and, and decreasing blood loss and decreasing transfusion rates. So it's been found to be safe in several studies that we've done at the institution and, and uh, that's been done, you know, throughout the world uh, to not leading to increased perioperative uh, morbidity, you know, has not been shown to increase uh, DVT or PE rates and has been shown to be safe. So I think, you know, institutions should continue to standardize and, and basically ubiquitously use that to, to help our patients post uh, in the perioperative period. Yeah, no, I totally agree, Brian. That's very clear and very fair assessment of it. And and maybe just finally, you know, in terms of this area, maybe, you know, you, you talked about the beginning of the perioperative area. What what do you see the future being? What's next with this? Or is there a next area that you feel that needs to be looked? Yeah. So I think, you know, we're con- going to continue this work and uh, we're actually looking at our total hip population as well to see if there's similar trends. You know, there's obviously, you know, minimal patients with drains and, and total hip replacements. And so looking at different factors and different variables there. Um, and I think continuing to 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 improve and, and move the needle, you know, tranexamic acid came out 
10, 15 years ago? Is there another thing that, you know, another medication, another technique that, you know, something that we can do to continue to decrease where that, that rate of transfusion, you know, not only 3% drops to 0.3%, right? And so, you know, a healthy patient undergoing a hip or knee arthroplasty, you know, we hopefully in the next 10 years, it should be, you know, a, a you know, no question of whether they're not going to get a transfusion. And, and the, you know, we, we you know, there's no thought that we're going to even need post-operative labs on that patient. So, you know, just continuing to improve our techniques and, and whether it's a, another advance like tranexamic acid or, or just continuing to improve, I think that's what we're all, uh, you know, looking at. No, I totally agree, Brian. I think it's a really nice way to sum it up. And actually, like you say, all these little things add to that ability to make it, like you say, sort of well patient surgery and ambulatory surgery and getting people through the system in a, an efficient and, 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 and safe way. You know, I totally agree. Well, Brian, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Congratulations uh, to you and your team on a, on a great study. It really added to the literature in this area without doubt. And, and thank you so much for taking time to join us. It was great to have you with us. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we encourage you to share your thoughts and comments through social media and the like. Feel free to tweet or post about anything we have chatted about here today. And thanks again for joining us. Take care, everyone.